Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hi, I'm Sue Uniman. I'm Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom UK. And joining us over the phone is Rupert. How are you doing, Rupert? Hi, ASD. Hi, Sue. It's great to, great to be talking to you from Shanghai, where life is step by step coming back to normal. Ah, so Rupert has given us a clue there. So Rupert McPetrie is the Mediacom China CEO. Prior to this, he was the CEO for Central and Eastern Europe for Zenith Optimedia and the CEO of ZO Russia. So I think the first burning question for um, all of us is to ask how have things changed? How has COVID-19 changed the office both, both now and starting to think about moving forward? Well, it's been an incredible journey for the business uh, and for our team over the last two months. Uh, it seems amazing to say, but it was only January the 23rd when we shut the China office the week before Chinese New Year, where we have a, a week break anyway. Uh, frankly speaking, uh, that wasn't a holiday because we were dealing with all of our, our clients' business and quite a lot of uh, personal things to manage as you know, the COVID-19 crisis really emerged in Russia, uh, in China. And um, as we, you know, very much tried to live in the, the lockdown environment, um, you know, in those subsequent seven, eight weeks, we've had a mix of total lockdown and then a gradual relaxation uh, as businesses have returned uh, step by step, shift by shift. Uh, restaurants, bars, shops, malls reopening. Uh, so we are getting back to close to normality, but it, it, it's been a journey and a, a lot has changed quite substantially. Uh, I'm sure many of the, the listeners will be going through right now some of what we went through at the end of January and early February, where you're adjusting to this very new normal of running your business and your life at the same time. Uh, and running your business in a very, very different way, uh, specifically around trying to get the most and the best out of the technology that we have to try and run our businesses. Uh, but also, almost in a contradictory way, uh, at a time when we're using technology the most, uh, it reinforces more than ever the value of the human connection and mm. personal connections. Um, so look, I mean, in the first, first two weeks of, of, of pure lockdown, uh, you know, I, I'd say the majority of the work we were doing was was managing very, very short-term issues. Uh, and we were using all the technology that we have available to try and do that. Uh, so some of the, you know, the formal business platforms, be that Teams or, or Skype, uh, obviously in China, everybody is connected uh, via WeChat. Um, so numerous WeChat groups set up with vendors, with clients, with, with our teams. Uh, so that that was a, a time of, you know, very high tempo work using technology to its best. Mm. Um, and then as we sort of evolved through that journey, uh, things became a little bit more structured on the one hand, but also from that more human element, we moved also into you know, basically trying to take care of our people. Uh, as the scale of COVID-19 became clear and it was becoming increasingly obvious that we'd be uh, kept under lockdown for, for more than just one week, two weeks. Uh, so that human element 
coming to the fore. Um, so look, I think I think from the short term, uh, some very clear new ways of working. It took a little bit of landing properly, I guess. Um, you know, China has some very specific ecosystems, uh, and not all the global platforms work perfectly in China. So there's a few technical hurdles to get through to get fully up to operational capacity. Um, but the key, I think, always in those first days was about the, the speed of communication, mm. uh, formal communication, informal communication, um, and obviously technology played a played a critical role in that. I, I, I'm absolutely certain that we have stress tested most of these technical solutions to, to the limit now. We know the full capability of many of these technology solutions for business. Yeah. And, and for sure, over the, over the longer term, we'll be using them ongoing. Uh, mm -hmm. We've learned a lot to use these systems to the, their full capacity. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Um, so what was the biggest challenge that you had to face throughout the crisis? Well, the single biggest one, I guess, would have been managing information. Um, you know, I, I sort of characterised the crisis in almost three three phases. Sort of anxiety to start off with, personal and professional. Uh, an analysis phase when you're starting to pull together all the information and start to filter it and understand what's possible, what isn't, what a time scale could be, uh, so on and so forth. And then the third stage is more about, you know, the action, what, what you're going to do to, to move forwards. Um, and the reason why I say information, and I, I'm sure it's the same in other markets, other countries, we're so rich with information at the moment. There's just so much noise out there. Some of it very, very useful. Some of it less so. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's fake news, but you know that we live in a an age where we take information from so many different data points. And in those early weeks, our appetite for information, bearing in mind we were the first COVID-19 market, our appetite for information was was voracious. Um, but then you have to sift through what's the noise and what's relevant, what's actionable, what's important. And again, I. I just repeat, both professionally and personally, you know, it is a time of anxiety, right, um, and uncertainty. So managing that information, working out what's most important, what's most relevant uh, for you, for your teams. Uh, we spent a lot of effort to try and get the right information out to our people across China. Uh, we have three businesses in China, uh, in Beijing, in Shanghai, where I'm based, uh, and also in Guangzhou. Um, and clearly, when a when you have uh, COVID-19 in a country the size of China, mm. each province, each city is affected in a slightly different way. Maybe the municipal government's reacting in a slightly different way, uh, and therefore the impact on our teams and our people can be slightly different. So we're just trying to get the right information to the the right people at the right time, and this was a, a huge challenge. Um, one that I think. You know, with the with the strong support, actually, the network um, we were able to do, um, and again, using technology to help us get the message out with a very very high tempo, the cadence of operation. 
So, oh, I mean, just to be very practical, nuts and bolts, you know, we, we were having daily leadership calls, uh, daily team calls, office calls, um, some very, very practical about operational issues, some more, you know, human level, soft engagement, just checking in with people. Uh, we felt very strongly that as a business, we should take care of our people and support them. Um, you know, not least because with, with the timing of Chinese New Year, at the time the lockdown happened, we had about half our staff outside of their working city, many of whom are abroad. So we've also had uh, an interesting challenge of trying to repatriate people to their right province, their right city, uh, and their right country. Um, and to be fully transparent, that challenge continues. We still have a couple of people uh, outside of China trying to get back. And are all your offices now open? Again, because we, we, saw, we saw you in the office yeah. just now. Yeah, so I, I, I am coming to you live from the, the Shanghai office where the WPP campus is, is fully open. Um, we've been working very closely with the, the authorities here uh, to work with them on, on guidance for how to operate. Uh, China, like, like most countries, was, was very clear on, you know, the, the best way to stay safe is to, is to stay separated, yeah. to minimise density of people, social distancing and so on. Um, so, look, we were, we were totally closed as a business, physically, in the office for, for four weeks. We were all working from home those four weeks. Uh, in the final week of closure, we started to put in place uh, plans and practical steps to make our offices um, safe for our people to return to step by step. Um, so putting in place some very strict uh, rules on how many people uh, in the lift, in the floor space, in meeting rooms, uh, extra sanitation, deep cleaning, uh, sanitization, you know, san hand sanitizers on everybody's desks, um, much more regular cleaning cadence, and so on and so forth. We have uh, in WeChat, we have uh, an entire company group that is a health check-in every day. Um, so we can just check in on our people and obviously support them uh, as we can. And that allows us also to manage and know where, where people are. So manage how many people are coming to the office on which day. Because four weeks ago, we reopened the office, but at 50% capacity. So we'd effectively do shift works. So you work one day in the office, one day at home, yeah. and so on. Um, so never more than 50% of the, the population in the office at one time. And, and that was... That was repeated uh, across all our offices and actually was more or less what our customers were doing as well, what our clients were doing. Um, so step by step, with all precautions, getting back to getting back to office work. So um, speaking of, of clients, um, how, how is how, is how um, Mediacom China working with clients? How has that changed because of this uh, situation over time? Well, it's um, often in China, the, the communication comes in, uh, I guess, typically, as in other countries, there's a very formal way of communicating, which in China is, is you know, either face to face or, or, or by formal email. Uh, but increasingly, you know, a lot of the, the less formal side is done through WeChat or another messenger app. 
Um, and clearly in those early weeks, we were shifting entirely into, you know, technology to, to do all our communication. Again, in those early weeks, there was an extremely high level of connectivity with our clients. Uh, they were as hungry for information as we were. They were wanting to understand what's going on in other categories, in other sectors, uh, in other provinces. Um, so the level of information sharing was, was very, very high. Uh, I think that use of technology at a higher level will, will continue mm. uh, as, we, as we come out of COVID-19. Um, clearly, there are, there are some elements of our business that you know, remain very, very human and very, very personal. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're clearer now on, you know, what what elements of our business we can use technology for, work remotely, or have, uh, you know, Teams meetings, Skype meetings, and so on, uh, and what what elements we really do need to, you know, spend a bit of time together as a collective, face to face. But I mean, it's interesting. We've all had to adapt. You know, we've been we've been mm. doing client pitches. Uh, via Teams and via Skype. Uh, we've also been doing, you know, set piece client strategy presentations and workshops via mm. Teams and Skype. I think we've all become a little bit more disciplined about how we we use these tools and technology. You know, we know when to when to mute and when to unmute and when to chip in and when not to. Um, so I think we've become much better at it, and I hope that will survive as we uh, and endure as we as we move through thanks i just wondered i'm just adding this question because you haven't covered it yet when we talked um earlier this week you talked a little bit about um the use of um uh barcodes and uh, to, to get to enter buildings and to you know go into shops and things and i just wondered because that's very different from certainly what we're experiencing in the uk i just wondered if you could just describe that a little bit and is that that's presumably still going on yeah so when when china uh imposed the lockdown it was very comprehensive uh it, it's quite hard i think for you know people living in sort of western liberal democracies to understand the the infrastructure that is there to support in China at times of difficulty and crisis. Uh, it was actually very, very powerful and very, I think, effective. Um, you know, so when, when the country went into lockdown, uh, immediately your, your, your freedom of movement was quite limited. Uh, you know, access to uh, your own apartment uh, required uh, a temperature check at the front gate. Uh, you'd have to wear a face mask. Uh, you'd have to prove that you lived there. Um, and uh, across China, you know, everybody uses these two apps of WeChat and uh, Alipay. And in both of these, there's uh, there's a facility for a, for a health checker, for a QR code, effectively, which are extremely popular in China. Um, that would based on your uh, location uh, highlight whether you were considered uh, clear or at risk. Um, so in those early weeks, you would have to register uh, and assuming you'd been at your uh, at your, your your place of residence, your city of residence, for more than 14 days, you'd get a, a green code, and you would 
in 90% of the time have to show that green code to enter your, your grocer shop uh, or a coffee shop if there was one open, for example. Mm. Um, if you had, say, recently travelled back to your hometown or back to your city of work, rather, from your hometown, uh, you, would, you would register, but you wouldn't go green until you'd served effectively the 14-day quarantine. Uh, and therefore, if you tried to go in somewhere you, you, and you didn't have a green, you had an orange or a red, uh, you wouldn't be let in. Um, and obviously, you know, it's a very effective way of all the, the tracing and the tracking of, you know, those that are infected with COVID-19, but also the trace back of different contacts that you've had based on your location and so on. Um, it, as the cities have returned back to life, uh, the, the need to show those codes all the time has diminished. But still, to, to enter most buildings now, you will still have your temperature taken. You should still be wearing a face mask. Uh, and many places will ask you, many shops and restaurants, uh, coffee shops, will ask you to fill in your personal details as you, as you walk through. So you literally write down your name uh, and your phone number. Again, it just helps the authorities know who's been where, how they can trace back any uh, contact with with. Uh, COVID-19 cases. So uh seems quite uh, alien to, mm. to a Westerner, but uh, I think it's been quite effective. And that whole ecosystem and infrastructure, I think, has allowed China to manage the situation quite well. That's so interesting. Um, so now we're going to talk more about you. Eastern Europe before this and so uh, they're very different to China so what do you think was it about you what were your transferable skills that enabled you to do such a good job in China and then what did you need to learn once you got there as well so yeah my journey uh, from west to east started uh, just over 11 years ago uh, and my, my wife and I my family we'd always had a, a, a burning desire to experience life uh, in another country um, mindful that it may not be uh, easy on day one but we're very motivated to um, you know satisfy I guess our curiosity to to work and to live in, in a different culture and hopefully you know become uh, broader minded uh, you know inter more interest and so on coming out of that um, so we, we, you know, we spent a few years in Russia. Then we lived in Prague for a couple of years before moving to China. Um, I mean, it's very interesting when you look at these differences across countries. Uh, when I was uh, working at Zenith Optimum Media in, in a in a global role at first, I had the opportunity to visit many countries, uh, and that gave me a real appetite to to explore uh, and really fueled uh, the interest to really try and live and work in another in another country um you know in a way there are a lot of similarities um i'll talk about the differences in a minute but you know the the role of the agency um <clears throat> the, the whole purpose of you know a media agency that media and marketing ecosystem uh it's pretty common across territories how that is action and executed may be slightly different. 
Um, but our role as you know, trusted, strategic uh, counsellors, consultants, to help clients understand where, where growth can come, how we reach that growth from a consumer point of view, and then how we execute and how we evaluate and assess and learn. Um, that's pretty common. Um, clearly, the, the ecosystems can be very different. And in a way, I, I, I look at Russia as a bit of a, a halfway house. China, and I'll, I'll explain why. So, so Russia, obviously, uh, it's it, it, in the middle of a sort of Western ecosystem from a, a vendor point of view, but also has some very local players as well. So, you know, Google, Facebook, etc., exist there, but so does Nuklasniki, so does Vukontekcia. Uh, you have Yandex as well as Google, and so on. So there's a uh, Quite an interesting mix of local players as well as the, the very familiar global players. Um, and it's very similar from a client point of view in that you have a lot of multinational businesses there uh, trying to uh, grow their businesses in Russia. Uh, but you also have quite a few local players, your Russian players, uh, you know, with a view to establish their business in Russia and then export out. So you have this you know, melting pot of different vendor ecosystems, some common, some less common, and similarly on the client side. And it's worth to say also on the agency side, there's a lot of, you know, every global business has a has a footprint in Russia, uh, but also there are some, you know, very, very capable local players. Um, but then you move over to China and it becomes a little bit different, certainly from the, the vendor landscape where, as I'm sure our listeners know, you know, certain Western platforms aren't readily available in China, uh, and there's a much more local uh, vendor and platform ecosystem. Uh, so that that's why I talk about Russia as a bit of a halfway house, and obviously there is a you know a learning journey for a Westerner uh, as you start to understand the the local perspectives, the local structures, the local ways of working, about some of the local metrics, and clearly when you move. Uh, from west to east, um, you know, you end in China, the scale takes some adjustment, uh, not just from a, a numerical point of view, but the number of platforms, number of local channels, etc. Um, so th th there's an enormous learning journey, and you just build up your know-how uh, step by step. Um, equally, you know, I think on the the agency ecosystem again. China is is obviously well represented in terms of the global agency groups and holding companies. But again, there's a, you know, a very strong and actually emerging, very competitive set of local players. Um, so you know, it's uh, it, it's a lot more localized than say Russia, but there are some similar trends. Uh, I won't dabble in the politics. Um, just so you're allowed to stay on air. Uh, but clearly the role of the government in media uh, also becomes a bit more pronounced as you move through Russia and then on to China. Well, that is very interesting. And um, you've, you've certainly... Um certainly moved around a lot and obviously nobody is moving around much but I can see that there may well be an appetite um, for uh, 
a lot of people across media come to be interested in, in moving once once this kind of global situation resolves itself and and what advice would you would you give them about moving to another country within mediacom well i i personally have have had a, a, a brilliant journey from west to east uh, every step's been fascinating and you know particularly my now almost five years in china uh, mm. have been brilliant so um not wanting to disrupt existing structures but I would, you know, I'd encourage people if they are curious um, to, to explore and to to see what what could be. But I think before before you put your hand up, you, you kind of need to understand why you put your hand up. Mm. Uh, and by that I mean, you know, what, what what's the motivation? Is it is it about a very enriching life experience? Uh, is it about um, you know, experiencing in fullness what other cultures have to offer. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, my, my advice would be you, you need to work out your motive for, for putting your hand up and sort of related to that. Uh, in my experience, not just for myself, but having obviously worked in expat communities now for over 10 years, uh, people that move around for the right reasons can have an amazing journey and are very enriched by the whole process. And the process the, the, is, is additive to them and it's additive to the country that they, that they live and work in. Mm. Um, but you need to be very flexible. Um, mm. You need to understand that just because you've done something in a certain way for the last, let's say 10 years in your home country it doesn't mean you're going to persuade 1.4 billion people to follow your way. So you talked uh, about the right reasons. What are the wrong reasons? The people well, that I, 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 yeah. I, I think where people uh, where people don't have a, a, a good journey and where mm. people get frustrated uh, and where where people fail, frankly. Mm. Uh, is when they haven't worked out their, their inner motivation. Um, so don't move for position only. Don't move yeah. for financial reasons only. Yeah. You have to you have to want to experience the cultural change. If you don't want that, don't don't turn up. Um, I think the other thing, uh, again, at a very sort of human level, uh, if you have a partner, if you have a family, that mm. they have to be with you mm. with the same on the same journey, on the same page. If, you know, these, these countries are not always easy to live in, right? Mm. They're very different sometimes. Um, you know, my wife, I have huge respect for because we moved to Russia in the middle of Russian winter. Uh, um, miraculously, she's, she stayed with me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you need to... You, those first weeks and months can be really quite a cultural shock, yeah. not just a you know, minus 25 degrees shock. Um, and if you're not there on the same page, wanting it for the similar same reasons, it will be really, really difficult. So um, if people are thinking that they're themselves very curious, want to explore, if they're in a relationship, they should just sense check it. Mm. 
Oh, Andrew, we've lost you. Sorry, I was oh, on mute in case <laughs> for the kids. Um, technology. <laughs> uh, why would people choose China then? What 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 are the reasons to choose China out of all the countries then? But why why choose China? Yeah. Uh, what apart from being the fastest growing scale market in the world, uh, apart from having the most advanced data and e-commerce systems, uh, apart from it being a time of incredible consumer cultural change in China, uh, one in which, in my experience of almost five years in China, no two days are the same, um, and an opportunity professionally and, and personally to explore what is a incredibly rich, diverse country, apart from that. Uh, there's probably a few other reasons as well, but that's that's a few off the top of my head. And um, Rupert, what's next? What's next for you as, as things hopefully come back to normal? In, at least in, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great question. Too. I mean, look, I, I I love every minute of every day in China. It's not always easy. Um, in fact, sometimes it's incredibly difficult. But mm. to the point I said earlier, no two days are the same. Mm. Um, the country moves so quickly. Our business moves so quickly. I mean, I, I genuinely think I've got the best job in the world here. Uh, you know, working with a great team in the scale market, but a scale market that still has unbelievable uh, speed, momentum, ability to change. Um, I, I, I love it. So, you know, put me down for another five years, I guess. Okay. Brilliant. We're on to our questions. We ask all of our guests, uh, Rupert. So can you tell me your favourite line from a poem, a song or a book, please? I, I can do. I need to probably preface that by saying during the lockdown I went back through my, my very old music library mm. uh, and there's a song I've got going on in my head that I just can't can't get rid of um, so people will be able to work out a little bit how old I am but I, I've been listening to a lot of Depeche Mode recently yeah. um, and, and, and my very simple thing which maybe is appropriate for a lockdown environment would be enjoy the silence Okay. If you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you? Right. Well, you'd have to put my my running shoes, because I'm a bit obsessed by that at the moment. Uh, you'd have to put a PlayStation 4, uh, some flapjacks, a cafe <laughs> latte, uh, and sorry for some listeners, but a Man United shirt. <laughs> brilliant okay we can manage all of those um and so when you're in when you were locked down in your house what three things gave you comfort well i'm gonna go all the way on technology here uh wi-fi i i, I could not have survived without wi-fi mm -hmm. uh related to that wechat uh that allowed me to connect everywhere in china globally um and last but by no means least uh i did finally succumb and subscribe to netflix now those aren't the sorts of answers we normally are looking for are they andrew uh, i mean netflix may be a comfort but what what comforted you in those anxious times not what allowed you to speak to everybody i want to know what we're being nosy about what items or objects you've got in your home that you know you 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 sort of 
were pleased to have there that you sat with, whether that's kind of books or a book or a painting or a, you know, I don't know, a oh, photograph or a letter yeah. or something? Well, I mean, I, I was able to do quite a lot of reading. Um, so, so definitely some, some books would, would feature. Um, Can you name one and that, you, I said, uh, I, yeah, that you Yeah, I, 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 I did. I read an amazing book called Seven Steps. Uh, from Snowdon to Everest. Wow. Um, okay. Cool. I, and it's uh, I, I, if, if you're into outdoors and you're a bit crazy, I would recommend it. Brilliant. Okay. Um, if you could change the industry in one way right now, we're going to kind of give you a magic wand to wave. W what would you do? I would ask everybody in this industry, be the agent or, or client or consultant, whatever, to focus much more on the value of what we do rather than the cost of what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have concerns on sustainability of our business models, and I think we've got to get hold of that as an industry. Oh, very interesting. If we were going to give you a billboard, where would you put it and what would it say? Well, I, if you'd asked me this before COVID-19, I probably would have come up with something a bit flippant. Hmm. But um, I'm mindful of the time. So right now, I would, uh, I don't know if all the listeners are familiar with the Bund uh, in Shanghai, uh, but the second tallest building in the world sits on the Pudong side, uh, the Shanghai Tower. And there's a beautiful uh, digital, dynamic digital out-of-home display there. And so I take that billboard if that's okay, if you don't mind paying for it, ASD. <laughs> um, and my message, my message, I guess, you know, for the current times we're in would be stay safe, stay strong, and stay connected. Very good. Now, one question you can't prepare for, Rupert, is is the final question. Now, usually we take the questions from a box from the School of Life, but um, we're using Proust's questionnaire. So if you could give me a number between 1 and 34, I'll give you a question from it, and if you could answer it to finish us off, please. Uh, 27. 27 is, who is your hero of fiction? My hero of fiction. Wow, that is a good one. That is a very good one. Um, oh, I don't know about that. It's hard, you might have bowled me on that. Try another one. <laughs> I'll give you. If you like, you can just answer it as your. He could be. It could be fiction or not non-fiction. Have you got a hero? Who's your hero? Yeah. Well, I, I do have a, a hero. Um, I do have a hero, a sporting hero. It, May not surprise many people to hear. I, I'm an obsessive Formula One fan. Uh, and whilst I'm currently a big supporter of Lewis Hamilton, mm. from a true hero point of view, uh, it's got to be Ayrton Senna. Okay. Ah, brilliant. Great. Well, Rupert, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. It's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. It's great to talk to you.